The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. The history of Rocky Horror is a history of cinema. For everything you like about Rocky Horror, there was at least one film that inspired it. And we're going to review them all on Episode Zero. Everybody and welcome back to Episode Zero, the Rocky Horror Picture Show podcast, where we don't really talk about the Rocky Horror Picture Show, ah! or do we? Yeah, we kind of do, actually. Anyway, my <laughs> name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I too am a critic. I don't have a cute nickname, but I am a big Rocky Horror aficionado. Yep, the Rocky Horror Picture Show is a pop culture institution and one of the unlikeliest pop culture institutions. Uh, it started off as a sort of bizarre, eccentric, wonderful stage play, uh, turned into an unsuccessful musical that ended up kind of slowly bubbled up from underground. Yeah, yeah, it became the biggest midnight sensation in history. It has been in theaters consistently, obviously 2020 notwithstanding, uh, since basically it came out in the 70s. And if you adjust for inflation now, it's actually one of the highest grossing movies. <laughs> it's like on the list, like the top 100. And Disney owns it now. Yeah. It's an incredible, uh, uh, sort of rarefied, weird achievement in cinema. I'm a huge fan. Whitney is a huge fan. Mm. And it is very much a product of the films that influenced it. Many of them are name-checked in the movie proper. And uh, this week's double feature is no exception. Mm. Because over the course of Rocky Horror... Dr. Frank N. Furter, played by uh, the wonderful and illustrious Tim Curry, very specifically, and with a wry sexual mm. wink, <laughs> suggests we all watch a Steve Reeves movie. If you want something visual that's not too abysmal, we can take in an old Steve Reeves movie. Yeah. And uh, if you don't know who Steve Reeves is, <clears throat> we're about to introduce you to mm. the wonderful world of Hercules... And Hercules Unchained. Hercules! Immense and immortal was the strength of Hercules. Savage and sensual was the world of Hercules. Lavishly produced amid pagan palaces on Mediterranean shores, where Hercules lived, loved, and awed his fellow men. Hercules! Uh, Hercules, uh, the film we're talking about came out in 1958, although there are many, many, many Hercules movies on either side of the version we're talking about mm -hmm. that you could easily confuse it with. This one is simply called Hercules. It came out in 1958. It was directed was... by Pietro Francisci, and it mm -hmm. stars uh, bodybuilder extraordinaire Steve Reeves. Yeah. And uh, it was followed up by a sequel called Hercules Unchained the following year with the same uh, cast and crew. And it led to not just an ongoing Hercules franchise. Hercules, fortunately, is in public domain. So anyone can make a Hercules movie if you really want to. But the, and these were these were increasingly broad films like Hercules in the Haunted World, in which he fought Christopher Lee playing an ancient Greek Dracula. And uh, Hercules Against the Moon Men, in which Hercules... Uh, really takes a stand against Moon Men. Like, really does not support them in any way whatsoever. Just, yeah, moon, moon Men luchadors with rock beings and yeah. all, all kinds of weird People stuff. People sacrificing each other um, to, like, a giant mountain, and it's the whole thing. It's not particularly <clears throat> good, accurate mythology. <laughs> you know? Like, I imagine... Uh, um, I'm, uh, um, 
Oh, who's the power of myth? Joseph Campbell. Joseph Campbell. I almost said Joseph Conrad. I knew that was wrong. <laughs> Joseph Campbell is like shaking I, his head at like Hercules against the moon, man. Like, this isn't right. This isn't right at all. I, I'm Joseph Campbell for first alert. You know, when, when the power of myth is breaking into your house. Uh, 1958 sort of kicked off what is now known as uh, the peplum subgenre yeah which was huge in italy and europe uh from like the late 50s through the mid 60s like like seriously more movies than you could comfortably mm. count were produced in this genre mm. in america they're typically referred to as sword and sandal movies mm. uh and uh they is exactly what it sounds like we're talking about movies about ancient rome ancient yeah. greece uh, great ages, tales, yeah. yeah great, no, not so much Middle Ages, but like tales of great adventure, Sorry, tales dark, of, dark ages, dark yeah. Ages. Uh, uh, tales of great adventure, tales of incredibly strong men, saving mm. days, fighting <laughs> gods and monsters and rescuing yeah. women, and often just sort of saying thank you for being rescued by me. I must go out hang off with my man friends. Yeah. Um, huge amount of these movies, uh, yeah, they all dealt with very similar subject matter. They were actually, there are some antecedents to the peplum genre. Sure. Um, like, you can go back to the silent era and find this entire series of machiste films. Machiste, uh, that is macho, machiste, mm. uh, was a Hercules-type character that had their own really long-running series of films, like, in, in Italy, way back in the silent era, like in yeah. the 1920s. And, of course, uh, and we've also had silent, you know, tales of great heroism. Yeah, Flash Gordon yeah. isn't all that different from Hercules and its execution. Exactly. Uh, but, yeah, what Hercules wrought uh, became this pretty gigantic uh, subgenre that was huge all around the world, not so much in America. In fact, these films were pretty critically derided everywhere they went. They're critically derided, but the first uh, Hercules movie in particular was mm, a huge hit. It was a huge hit, which... You know, spawned the sequels and hence the genre. And the 1958 film, yeah, uh, it starred an American, which mm. I think was a big selling point. Yeah. Uh, they found a, a bodybuilder, I think he was born in like Montana, uh, Steve Reeves, who was an aspiring actor, but he was also a bodybuilder. He studied indeed, with Stella He was indeed yeah. born in Montana. Good, oh, good Monta pull. Okay, Montana. Uh, good pull. <laughs> just, I, I read up on Steve Reeves a little yeah. bit. Uh, but yeah, he studied with Stella Adler, but he was also like a Mr. Universe, like a mm -hmm. literal Mr. Universe. Uh, he uh, he was, was a, he was vying, in the army in World War II. Yeah, he, was, yeah. he was vying for uh, some pretty high profile roles in Hollywood. Uh, eventually, uh, after he'd already become a Mr. Universe, uh, he was tapped by these Italian producers to play Hercules because he's a big buff bodybuilder dude. Yeah. They found a bunch of other big buff bodybuilder dudes to play uh, ancient demigods who go on big adventures. Hmm. Easy sell. Cheap to produce. Yeah. Uh, as was the trend in Italian cinema at the time, they shot it without sound. Yep. And had the actors, or sometimes other actors, dub the dialogue in whatever market they were going to sell it to. Yeah. It's actually a great way to distribute films in other languages. And now, that was really uh, big in, in Italian cinema. Uh, Americans tend to sort of balk mm. at uh, dubbed movies, often because when we see dubbed movies, they're not super convincing over here. Mm. Uh, but dubbing was so common throughout the rest of the world mm. uh, after Hollywood realized how easy it was to just shoot one movie and then just throw dialogue from another language on top of it and then release it in Italy or France or wherever. Uh, that it's just not a thing. People, mm -hmm. people aren't as annoyed by it over and, there. And, and they, so could, ca it, they yeah. could cast actors who spoke other languages. And there's like yeah. some really bizarre things. Like uh, if you've ever seen Visconti's The Leopard, mm. uh, it stars Burt Lancaster who speaks English. And I think, I think it's uh, his co-star is Alan Delon. In that movie, I think. I seen famous that French actor, and they're both speaking their native languages, and then they would just dub over Italian. Yeah. So oftentimes you'll watch a movie like mm -hmm. the original Hercules or any number of great Gialli or any mm -hmm. number of, of uh, Italian movies in particular from the era, and uh, you'll it seems like oh the dialogue is bad. No, mm -hmm. our standards are different. Yeah. It's the, it's in the fact, idea uh, that the dialogue is synced is. A bonus. It's not necessarily it's, a deal breaker. Uh, in, in fact, if if you uh, are a fan of uh, or are looking to get into Federico Fellini, mm. he famously, because he grew up watching these dubbed movies, just liked that aesthetic. So when he came to shoot his movies, he would shoot without sound 
and then have his, the same actors come in and dub their own dialogue in their in the same language. So it has that weird sort of vocal disconnect. Yeah, that was an aesthetic choice that Fellini would make. Uh, that just happened to be the way films were made back in 1958. So uh, Steve Reeves is in this big Italian production. I believe he's the only American on the cast. I think so. Uh, and he's and he gets to speak English, yeah. whereas everybody else, I think, is speaking Italian. Or mm. if they're speaking English, they're additionally dubbed anyway. Yeah. Uh, Steve Reeves didn't come from nowhere. Again, he'd been in a lot of bodybuilding stuff. And mm. uh, he had a bunch of little roles in a lot of things. He was in an Ed Wood movie called Jailbait. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in an MGM musical called Athena. Uh, he was on the George Burns and Gracie Allen show. Uh, apparently, he caught he did a costume test for the lead in the movie Little Abner. Uh, so uh, make a good Little Abner. Yeah. Uh, so he was just kind of this person who was constantly on the periphery of stardom. And Pietro, uh, Pietro Francisci. Uh, couldn't find someone to look like Hercules. You can't just get some person to look like Hercules. Mm. You have to get someone who looks larger than life. Hercules is traditionally played by bodybuilders. We have yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger and Lou Ferrigno. Dwayne and, Johnson. Yeah, yeah, uh, who, that's not a bad movie, who, by who the way. Is, that Dwayne Johnson Hercules? That's that's not bad. I, I didn't, like I didn't that see film. that one. I saw the, the other Hercules film from that year. with Oh, uh, Hercules. Like the, the legend of Hercules. Yeah, I was like with, the, the, with um, the guy with from some bland Twilight. Dude, yeah. Cullen Lutz. Yeah, there you that go. That movie is terrible. It's really, really bad. That movie is embarrassing. There's my yes. favorite. There's well, you, a bit you, of that you movie. You tell the story because you saw an unfinished version I saw the, of er, it. the so, first yeah. version I saw this movie and then I found out it was unfinished and I had to see it again. This is amazing. There's a bit at the end of the movie where Hercules like musters an army and goes to like fight his evil dad or stepdad or whatever. And... Um, he like brings the whole army to this castle or keep or whatever, and you see all of these soldiers looking down at Hercules. And apparently, this isn't in the finished cut. Uh, but I remember at the screening I saw one of the guards says, "After all of this giant army sets, like, put their weapons down." Hmm. Hey, it's Hercules. <laughs> it's the funniest. It was the like funniest line of dialogue I've ever heard. It's in clearly a movie. like the actor just sort of doing a little bit of like unmiked walla, but somehow it was picked up on the mic and they they put it in this unfinished cut of the movie. The like they, were, they were clearly going to dub it over. Easily yeah. the funniest line I've ever seen in any movie ever. Hey, Billy Wilder, Hercules. Billy Wilder, like would have cried if he saw it. it would, like just tears up the script of the apartment. What was I thinking? Hey, it's Hercules. <laughs> hey, it's Hercules. <laughs> So yeah, so, Francisci, 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 yeah. Uh, Fran- Francisci found uh, found Steve Reeves and yeah. put him in the Hercules movie to be Hercules, and yeah. he's and you know what? Now he is inextricably linked with Hercules. And you know what? Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to say this right now. Like when these, you picture movie Hercules, this is kind of who you picture. This is who you picture. And let, like, me, and let me. Bailey Lugosi is Dracula. Yeah. Batman is Adam West. <laughs> That's you're and, not. Uh, not everyone agrees with you on Batman, but Bela Lugosi is Dracula. Yeah. I think we can all like. That's the first person we think of. Boris Karloff is Frankenstein, yeah. and I think Steve Reeves is still Hercules, even though the movies aren't very well seen anymore. They're not screened on television very much. No. Actually, no one has taken care of these films. No, like I'm a, I was actually no, no. shocked because they're easy to find, like on various sh- streaming yeah. services, but you can't actually see them in widescreen. Yeah, these were like widescreen, technical, not Technicolor, but uh, yeah, like brightly yeah. colored epics. Like they're 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 modestly budgeted for the era, but mm. they're pretty big. Like yeah. there's lots of cool sets and costumes and big crowd scenes and fights, and these are pan and scan like VHS copies that are still available. Well, someone I don't I don't know who listens to our podcast. I know some people listen to our podcast. Arrow Video or Vinegar or, yeah, Syndrome. Or, Hell, or, or fuck the, it. Or the Shout Factory. Somebody's got to be. Here. I'm gonna call it right now. Criterion. <laughs> you put out Equinox. Mm. They put out this gigantic box set of all the early Godzilla movies. Yeah, you put out like all of these like 1950s like sci-fi monster movies about giant brains that kill you. Put out at least the first two Hercules movies. These things are at least culturally significant. Yeah. And I'm going to say this right now. I really like the first one. Mm. And I think Steve Reeves is amazing. I think Steve mm. Reeves is a wonderfully, like, larger-than-life presence in this movie. Mm. He, he's got this, like, haughtiness. He's, like, he's got a I, bounding energy to him. I would kill. Because here's the thing. In the Marvel comics... Thor is like the Asgardians are not the only gods that really exist. Hercules There's, is a Marvel character. Hercules as well, is a character. Yeah. 
in Marvel. And indeed, there's a Marvel character, and he's very explicitly based off of Steve Reeves' performance as Hercules. Mm. And when you watch this Hercules, I mean, yeah, again, the dubbing and the dialogue isn't up to standard today, but you can totally imagine him hanging out with Thor. You can totally imagine <laughs> yeah, these guys having yeah. the best time together and going on awesome adventures. He's got that wonderful larger-than-life quality. He's very amiable. I love Steve Reeves in these movies. He's funny. Mm. He's he's kind of goofy. Like He has some really embarrassing like scenes he has to do, and he just mm. throws himself into it. He's a game actor, mm. and he found exactly the right role that fits all of his strengths. And boy, he is just... That's Hercules. uh, I don't see it. That's just Hercules. That's what Hercules probably looked like. Well, and these are like big Italian. I I say big just sort of in in concept, not not big in budget or execution, but they deal with larger than life characters. So, uh, and we were just talking about this on another podcast of ours about how certain filmmakers really roll with artificiality. We're talking about De Palma. Uh, And I feel like these are big artificial spectacle movies. Yeah. There's not a lot of authenticity to these things. No. We're not delving into the heart of Hercules. We're getting the big Saturday matinee version of these characters. Yeah. And so, and I think Steve Reeves knows that and he's playing into that, even though he has some really weird dialogue in this movie. Weird dialogue. Well, again, we're doing Hercules and Hercules Unchained. Weird dialogue in both. Weird plot points in both. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's something really unapologetic about how fantastic and larger than life this is. And it's something that I felt like we wouldn't get again on this scale outside of the peplum genre for a while. And there are like plot points in the first Hercules that are pretty much lifted wholesale for like the Christopher Reeve Superman movies. Like the whole bit in Superman 2 where Superman is in love with a woman and feels like his... Uh, godhood, for lack of a better word, uh, is preventing him from leading a mortal life and it's not bringing him any happiness. And he goes to basically a temple Mm. and begs to have some of his power taken away. That's in Hercules. That, I don't recall that from the legends. That's just in that movie uh-huh. where Hercules realizes that his godhood is alienating him from people and he's in love with the woman and it's alienating him from her. And he says, I don't want to be immortal anymore. And they take away a lot of his strength. He's still a superhero. But they take away a lot of his strength and make him a little less perfect and they make it so that he can die. Mm. So all of a sudden, the movie goes from having this incredibly largey, larger-than-life, haughty, immortal god guy to a guy who can die. Mm. It's not bad storytelling, actually, for when you start off with Hercules. and like, wait, how do we challenge Hercules? That's how. <laughs> that's great. That's, that's a smart play. It'll also save us a budget on uh, <laughs> having to wrestle more stuffed lions. Yeah, there's uh, a lot of stuffed animals. Uh, there's... <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, a lot of, like, these explorations of the character are undercut by the low budget of these movies. Uh, Yeah, there's there's a scene where, uh, you know, they have stock footage of a lion lunging toward a camera, and then they have Steve Reeves standing, like, uh, in the sand next to a rock, and they just throw a big stuffed lion at him, and it kind of rolls around with it. It's it's the most absurd crap. It's delightful, Uh, though. (laughs) No, it's absolutely entertaining. It's very charming. It's really wonderful. Uh, it, it's just hard to watch that without chortling a little bit. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think the filmmakers are pretending mm. it's easy to take this seriously. And I think that's mm. actually something that's very fun about these yeah. films. They're, you, they're, you I wouldn't that... call them tongue-in-cheek, mm. but they're definitely childlike in their innocent joy mm. over the kind of action movie that they and, are. Uh, over the years, the uh, sort of the pop genres within Italy would change a little bit. Uh, mm. This kind of mutated almost directly into what are now called spaghetti westerns mm. and and uh, sort of you know spy films like Danger Diabolic. More larger-than-life uh, genre flicks. Exactly. Mm-hmm. They just sort of rotated through genres. It's, it's happened throughout history. Um, yeah. it, it's... I don't think we've really gone back to Sword and Sandal, at least not in a big... I guess in Hollywood uh, at, at around the same time, they started to do these big... Uh, Biblical productions, the long ships, yeah. or, uh, or, well, we, or Cleopatra. We always for had instance, biblical but... productions, but uh, again, the late fifties and sixties, Hollywood was trying to compete with television a lot, and so they mm. started to try to emphasize spectacle or films with grand ensemble casts, yeah. like Ocean's Eleven or The Dirty Dozen or Magnificent Seven, and so they were going for big, epic. Mm. What can't you see on that little rinky-dink TV in your living room? And and, and Italy was spear literally spearheading that stuff. Oh, because uh, they all had spears. That's my job. Don't oh, don't. Sorry. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's but, just my, my spear. Job. But again, these movies were imported. 
uh, to America. Hercules was an enormous success. It was actually released in a lot more theaters simultaneously than usual. It was advertised mm. on TV, which was uncommon. This is actually, in many respects, one of the prototypes for the release that Jaws would have. And, of course, Jaws would become one of the biggest things ever and change the whole paradigm of how movie releases were done because it used to be slow rollouts across the country. Hercules, you know, American producer, saw the film, thought it had appeal, brought it over. Turns out, yeah. And, and it would get and, constantly re-released. And it was Steve, very successful. Steve Reeves was a big part of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was so successful that I, they kind of rushed a sequel into production. Mm-hmm. The sequel feels a little bit rushed. It's yeah. it's a little sillier. It feels like you know Conan the Destroyer. In many respects, it's kind of the same movie. And yeah. we'll, we'll talk about the plots of each because I think but they're both I, fun. But. Well, I think the second is more significant to why we're talking about this on a Rocky Horror podcast, mm-hmm. though, because the second one is uh, there's a lot of a lot more competition between the male characters, mm. there's a lot more competing there's conquest a lot. for female attention. There's a lot at the beginning of the original Hercules, mm. and it falls by the wayside by the end. It's all throughout Hercules Unchained. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's in the DNA. Mm. I think. Well, let's talk about the movie. So Hercules 1958. Uh, it's actually the story of Jason and the Argonauts, but instead of letting Jason be the hero, they made it Hercules. If you've seen the movie Jason and the Argonauts with incredible visual effects by Ray Harryhausen, uh, it's one of the great fantasy fantasy films. It's just mm. an absolutely incredible production. It's gorgeous. The visual effects look amazing today. Hell, a lot of them look better than stuff that we're doing now because they just have this tangible quality where you know they were real in some way. Mm. Um, the fight with the skeletons is still one of the coolest things ever put on camera. Uh, but it's a story of... Uh, Palace intrigue, a guy killed a king, stole his throne, and then this heir to the throne, Jason, shows up, and he goes on a quest on a ship called the Argo. Hey, remember that movie Argo? I think it's... Isn't there a character named Argo? Yeah, he made the ship. That's why it's called the Argo. Um, That's why. And, uh, well... And uh, and they go off on a mission to uh, find the Golden Fleece, because the Golden Fleece will be brought back by the person who is the heir, who's the rightful heir to the kingdom. Hmm. Again, Jason is supposed to be the hero of that. Not in this version. There, Fuck no. There, there <laughs> this is, is a, all Herc all there, the time. There is a Ray Harryhausen, Jason and the Argonauts movie. Yeah, that's what it's talking about. So, it's yeah, great. Same, same story. It's the same yeah. story, but from Jason's perspective. Hercules is actually out of the movie halfway through. Literally halfway through the movie, Herc just like stays on an island. And someone's like, hey, should we go back for Hercules? And someone's just like... No, Hercules has his own adventures to go through. <laughs> Maybe there'll be a spinoff. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so this is from Herc's perspective. Herc is brought in uh, to... Herc. <laughs> you gotta call him Herc. He's uh, Herc. Good old Herc. Uh, I call him Herc because they, they called him Herc on MST3K yeah. and it just stuck. Um, they also call him Jerkules and well, yes. other... But I think Herc is affectionate. I think we can all appreciate a good Herc. Um... <laughs> Herc is uh, is enlisted to uh, the kingdom, I think it's of Jolko, uh, and uh, he's there to just sort of help the country whip itself into shape. He's um, yeah, he's like a motivational speaker mm. who travels from town to town helping he's, armies. He's an aspirational figure. He's Hercules. He's yeah. a celebrity. Everyone knows him. He's already famous. This isn't an origin story. Mm. Um, he's coming into this town where, yeah, the, the kingdom has been long since been overthrown by another mm. king. Yeah. Hercules is brought in to whip the army into shape and also to be a good role model to the prince who will one day inherit the kingdom. The prince is a dickhead. The prince (laughs) is full of macho bravado and swagger. Um, He first thing he sees is Hercules is just like, I'm going to get into a strength competition with this guy because this guy is not strong. Look at Steve Reeves. I don't care if he's a god or not. That guy's stronger than anyone in this room. What the fuck is the matter with you? So he like throws Hercules a spear and Herc bends it which is cool but also makes you wonder why they're making spears out of solid metal like it feels like most people couldn't even lift that very well <laughs> let alone throw it so again we're not really thinking this thing through but Herc will bend a lot of bars over the course of this franchise a lot Here's it's kind thing. of his thing Hercules is a demigod mm. he's Son of Hercules and that other person. Son of Her- son of Zeus and that other person. He is yes. he is Hercules. He's not yes. his own son. This is not a my own That's my true. own grandpa. Although thing. actually this this movie's funny because uh, the original Greek version is named Heracles, mm. son of Zeus. 
The Roman version is named Hercules, son of Jupiter. Except in this one, they'll call the god Zeus. Why not? <laughs> no one cares. No one. Hercules, Hercules Look, stuck. We're, Jupiter we're, did not. This is not Hesiod. We're not going <laughs> deep into you know, the actual bibs and bobs of, of mythology. I just think it's funny. Uh, you would think, mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is an issue I've had with most Hercules movies, and it's an issue I have with uh, Thor and the Marvel movies as well. It's like, you're dealing with an actual god. Mm. Shouldn't they be able to just lay waste to shit? Mm. Shouldn't Hercules be able to, like, literally knock over a mountain? Well, what is this bending bars nonsense? <laughs> well, one thing, that's what we could afford to do. Yeah. Uh, two, Herc is not an asshole. Yeah. That Herc is actually very noble. And mm. indeed... You would think, given that he is Hercules, the strongest man in the world, Mm. he would be kind of focusing on the strong man stuff. And what we actually find out pretty quick is he's actually very bright. And he understands that strength and violence doesn't solve problems. And he teaches everybody like... In fact, he he expresses that in dialogue. Very, very clearly. He doesn't want to be called just a strong guy. Yeah. And uh, uh, there's... um, Oh, is it Ulysses? Ulysses, Oh, dweeby Ulysses. uh, Sort of bounds into the screen and does like... You know him from the James Joyce novel. Yeah. Uh, he bounds into the screen and does like a somersault in front of Hercules and says, I wanted you to notice me, Hercules. Everyone's saying you're a really big, strong guy, but I know you want us to use our, our muscles to serve our intelligence. And Hercules is like, I love a brown nose. You're going to be with me this entire franchise. You're the best, Ulysses. Um, and indeed he will. <laughs> he really will. Ulysses kind of annoys the hell out of me, actually, but whatever. Everyone, Every hero deserves a psychic, I guess. He's a boy wonder. I guess. Um... The uh, he's going through these big training exercises, and it's a great big montage of burly men doing exercises, lifting weights. Yeah, and uh, the the prince shows up like having slept in, and Hercules is like, "Dude, you slept in? What what the hell? Your your prince should be setting a good example here." And the guy's like, "Oh oh oh, does the mighty Hercules want to tell me how to do stuff?" Well, I challenge you, guy who bent a metal bar that I couldn't bend, to another test of strength, because I am a moron. And he challenges him to a discus throw, which, of course, Herc, Mm. like, tosses the disc into the moon or fucking some shit. And after that doesn't work, uh, no, first he challenges him to, like, the, uh, to the bow. Like, who's Mm. best with the bow? And Herc teaches Ulysses how to be a better bowman than that guy in, like, two seconds. But then Herc tosses this discus so far that the prince runs off to find it, and he ends up getting killed by a fake lion. <laughs> no, it's a real lion. Sure, sure it is. In fact, I think it's the Nemean lion. Oh, it's supposed it? to be the Nemean lion, but it's it's a it's a lion, and then as soon as it's on somebody, it's it's a relatively convincing lion head if you only look at it for two frames. It's that same lion head that turned up in Samurai Cop. There you go. Oh no, not really. <laughs> It'd be funny if it was. Um. It would be, that would be an interesting bit of film trivia if that were true. That would be fascinating. Uh, but uh, in any case, uh, Herc is too late to save the dude. He's blamed for it. And uh, it, things all start going pretty bad. Uh, Herc's love affair with the princess is on the rocks because he kind of just got her brother dead. And uh, yeah, things are going real bad for Herc. But then Jason shows up and they have to go on the big Argonaut mission. They fight. Um, you know in the Ray Harryhausen movie how it's this awesome stop motion Hydra? Looks really fucking amazing. No, it's it's the big bronze statue. Well, no, that's in, in Jason initially it's the bronze statue, but defending the mm-hmm. fleece is the Hydra. No, in Jason and the Argonauts, it's just the bronze statue. The Hydra mm-hmm. is from a different movie. I'm pretty certain. I I could be wrong about that. I'm looking this up because this is going to drive me up the okay. wall. Otherwise, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was yeah. just the the giant bronze warrior who is well, defending the the golden fleece. No, it's not defending the golden fleece. The giant bronze warrior is like defending that island, mm. and he's got like that vault underneath his feet. And if you steal anything from the vault, oh, you okay. awaken the, the oh, bronze I think, yeah, monster. I think you're right. Sorry, it's been a little while. Yeah, no, no. There's definitely a Hydra in Jason of the Argonauts. Okay, a lot of these movies kind of bleed together because mm. they're all about the same myths, so mm. it makes sense. The Hydra and Jason the Argonauts looks incredible. The Hydra and Hercules would be laughed off the set of one of the worst Gamera movies. <laughs> it's not a good monster. I'm the first to admit it. I actually kind of like this movie. That's a dumb looking monster. But that's charming too, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Isn't it kind of just fun to see Herc wailing on a guy and like, an evil Barney costume, you know? 
It's like at the end of Conan the Destroyer when uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger fights um, Andre the Giant, but Andre the Giant is like a big unicorn monster. Yeah. That's got a charm in and of itself, I feel. Hurt comes back, saves the day with Jason. They break a bunch of stuff, tear down some columns, fight some bad guys. And honestly, it's fun. It's, it's, it's larger it's, than life. It's homoerotic as hell. It's really fun. <laughs> it's a fun... And honestly, it's very much reminds you that the template for the modern superhero movie that everyone loves so much mm. isn't so much this movie as it is mythology. Mm. These larger-than-life tales of heroism and villainy where people with superpowers do superpower things and mm. affect the world as we know it and learn valuable lessons about morality and yeah. humanity, well, and it's great. I, I want to walk you back there a second, though, because you just say it kind of flipply that it's homoerotic as hell. Oh, yeah. Um, that's why we're here. I, I, I knew uh, you would get to that. So um, when they made it, it wasn't homoerotic, mm. or was it? Mm. Uh the thing about uh, these, the reason Frankenfurter brought up Steve Reeves, uh, like what, we're watching Rocky Horror, and he, they, uh, you know, Brad and Janet walk into the Frankenstein place. They see the time warp. They they meet the sweet transvestite, and he says, "If you if if you're a little stressed out, we can just relax with a Steve Reeves movie. We can watch Hercules." Mm-hmm. Why is this? Uh, alien in drag inviting these people up to watch Hercules movies. Well, these movies were, in many ways, kind of the only way to get gay porn uh, back in 1958. In public, anyway. In public. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was illegal to have yeah. gay porn. A lot a lot of just pornography in general was, was illegal. Very it was uh, illegal to buy it, illegal to trade it, illegal to make it. Still made it. Yeah, you're, you're not going to stand. It's still in an industry. There's yeah. there's nothing nothing to stop the human libido. It's just <laughs> yeah. out there. It's going to bash through whatever walls you set up around it. Uh, but yeah, the only way to find uh, nudity, sexuality, and eroticism in in media mm. was kind of these sneaky back doors yeah. uh, for many many years. Bodybuilder magazines was a big one. But yeah, uh, nudist and naturist films were a big thing for a while and mm-hmm. uh, that was these are people who believe in the nudist lifestyle. They just sort of walk around naked and they do things like swim and play mm-hmm. volleyball. They're just It's not explicitly erotic. No, it's in fact it's almost stultifyingly unerotic the yeah. way a lot of these films are presented, but in many cases this is the only way a lot of people could see a nude person. Before they met one in person, yeah. <laughs> essentially. Uh, so a lot of really kind of run-down uh, grind houses and low-budget uh, theaters would show these movies knowing that people were going to see nudity. And they were going mm. to see these films, even though they weurent explicitly erotic, they're going to see these films to get off. There's a prurient uh, interest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um the same thing happened with uh, like a lot of international releases. Uh, mm-hmm. Swedish was synonymous with pornography for many, many years. Mm-hmm. Like, they were, they were allowed to show more explicit the, sexual most, imagery. It, yeah. uh, John Waters has spoken very eloquently about this, how uh, the, the same films that would show the same theaters that would show these naturist films and, you know, would get all of the perverts in Baltimore to come and come see them would also show a, a like, word we use on the bottom of our heart. Absolutely. Yeah. No, just no, to make they, it clear. We're not being judging. D- yeah. Deeply, deeply affectionately, I yeah. use the term. Uh, they would also book like Ingmar Bergman's Shame, like these really yeah. heady, heavy movies. But because they had like a glimpse of nudity at some point in them, they were sold as erotic films. Yeah. And uh, John Waters. That was the best it, you could get. Yeah. John Waters found it incredibly funny that uh, the only way you could see some of like the greatest cinematic art in the world was with the Raincoat Brigade, essentially. Yeah. And. Uh, Another way, yeah, to sort of trade around erotic imagery were these bodybuilder magazines. Yeah. Uh, it was the only medium that was openly showing the nude male form in what was presented in a, quote, harmless way. Mm-hmm. But it was still yeah. very rarefied. Like, look mm-hmm. at these specimens of humanity. Yeah, yeah. We were yeah. meant to... Uh, yeah, the, these magazines were made for men. They were aspirational magazines for men bodybuilding magazines men who wanted to work out who wanted to change their bodies and become very muscular um but at the same time we're really objectifying and indeed sexualizing the male body 
for a straight male audience. Mm-hmm. But if also. you're but but if you're a gay man, that's a great way to get it, isn't it? Yeah. To get this like erotic imagery via print media. And the sword and sandal mm. genre, not the least of which by like incorporating people mm. like Steve Reeves, bodybuilders, mm. and indeed a lot of the actors who would play Hercules in these movies, Steve Reeves wasn't in most of them. Uh, were bodybuilders mm-hmm. who were brought in to play the role because made sense. But uh, it, it, because it comes from that bodybuilding tradition, it's mm-hmm. also taking with it a lot of the gay text yeah. that was uh, just slathered all yeah. over it. And these movies were very much about shirtless men not wearing pants, you know, wearing togas, mm-hmm. uh, fighting each other, wrestling. Enjoying being men. There's a certain haughtiness to it where men get to hang out together and fight together. And curiously enough, and I think this is really fascinating, in both Hercules and Hercules Unchained, there is a major subplot in the middle of the movie that completely derails the A plot. It doesn't happen concurrently. It pauses the movie dead. Because, dang it, in the middle of Herc doing Herc stuff and hanging out with his Herc bros... Women come in and try to seduce them. Mm. And boy, is that inconvenient. Well, it, I mean, that all comes from the Odyssey, you know, yeah. the whole the island of sirens and that sort of thing. Or which the, get, the, the, which the get land, weirdly conflated Lo- with the land of the Amazons in this yeah. movie, the yeah, first and, one. And there's the, you know, the, the land of lotus eaters. Uh, there's, um, the, it, it comes from that sort of picaresque narrative of the, uh, the ancient stories of stuff like the Odyssey. Um, so it's not necessarily a distraction from the A plot. We're using mm. modern filmmaking terms, but uh, I think that's maybe sort of the vibe they were going through, mm. that it's the sort of series of adventures. And yeah, it is... ends up feeling a little episodic. Yeah. But what I think is very interesting is that in both films, the episodic adventure mm. is about how women are seducing these men and indeed preying on them in a way that will get them killed... If they don't resist the sexual advances of women and go back about their manly adventures without women. (laughs) And that's rather pointed. I'm not saying it was intentional, but it is in there. Uh And that's interesting. So in the first film, they're going to see the Golden Fleece. They have to stop in an island for provisions. They're stopped by the Amazons, a race of warrior women who proceed to give them nice food Mm. and frolic in a glade and dance and have off-camera sex, we assume. And uh, the, the, the men kind of get drunk and wear out, but yeah, yeah, there's no implication that they've been like having a lot of sex with these women. No, the idea... And in the, fact, I, the women, uh, they're presented as, we don't even know what sex is or what men are good yeah. for. And the, the men all kind of like raise their eyebrows and elbow each other <laughs> and then they don't really seem to do much yeah. with it it's all subtext and it's all off camera if anything is happening which so it's, of course was appropriate for like the censorship boards in the late 50s absolutely 100% mm. true but again it reminds you that all of the sexual elements of the story even the parts that are explicitly sexual like we're a bunch of brawny dudes at sea who land on an island full of women who don't have any men around and need to perpetuate their people somehow. Even that is subtext. <laughs> so it's arguing that the homoeroticism is subtext isn't a stretch. It's all subtext. Every single bit. And you heard in that trailer when they talk about like sort of the lascivious quality of this movie. It's not really in there very no. much. But it's all implied and it's all indicative of the story. And so when they leave the island, when Herc reminds everybody that dudes were dudes. Hmm. We don't hang out with ladies. We gotta go. And then when all the ladies start singing to them as though the Amazons were also sirens, Herc is like, nope, we have to sing man songs. I'm gonna hit a big drum and you're gonna sing in a very baritone way. No, while I whack this big phallic thing against the surface. So that we can get away from these women. Awesome. Love every part of it. In the second movie, the second movie is weird because it seems like the plot's going to get wrapped up really quick and it's only the digression of the B-plot that prevents the movie from being over in 30 minutes. Uh, it's true. They, yeah. they, they, it's very artificially yeah. constructed. Uh, Herc has uh, married uh, Princess Yole uh-huh. uh, from the first movie. All The cast is retained. Mm. Uh, and they go off with Ulysses, who they're basically told to treat as a son 
even though he's clearly like of age, it's really weird. He ends up becoming a bit more childlike in this one. Um, and uh, they're going off to Herc's hometown, Thebes, where everything is great. Uh, they have a brief digression with a bad guy who like tries to steal horses and basically assault Yole. Uh, but they pointed, they 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 poked like really gentle fun at Hercules early on. So Herc pretends to be asleep for most of it because he's a dick in this movie, apparently. Anyway, Herc fights the bad guy and it's fine. But then they get to Thebes and they find out that the kindly king of Thebes, Oedipus, is in a cave somewhere. <laughs> we will not get into that <laughs> at all. I don't know why. They don't. It's in the, in the movie. He has two sons. His sons have agreed to trade off the throne every other year, which is a stupid plan by any measure. Who are the sons' mom? <laughs> they never talk. You made him Oedipus. You didn't have to talk. You didn't have to go there. Why did you do that? You're just all Greek myth happened at once in this universe, and it's kind of fun. But man, they're just like and he's blind and everything, and just we're just not going to talk about it. There once, At was, all. there once was a man named Oedipus Rex. You may have heard about his odd complex. His name no, is no, 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 Because he loved his mother. Okay. That's in public domain. I can sing that. I know you can. Tom Lehrer sold all his music into public domain. Thank they're, you. They're ours now. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate it. <laughs> if you haven't heard Tom Lehrer, uh, amazing uh, mm. comedy musician. Mm. Um, but uh, so Herc has uh, to... Come back to Thebes, where it turns out the one of the sons, uh, the year is up, and he isn't giving up his throne. So Herc is asked to go in and say, hey, you gotta give up your throne, you're ready to do it every year. <laughs> and the guy's like, no, I'm too busy <laughs> mincing. And he is. He's just mincing around and feeding people to tigers. And uh, then Herc is just like, like... Like you do. And then Herc is just like, come on. And the guy's like, oh, okay. Here's a treaty... Give it to that guy, and if he comes back in a week, we'll just trade it off, and everything will be fine, and I'm not going to cause any problems. So, I know, I don't believe that everything's going to work out great either, Cats. Thank got you. Our, got our own Nemean lions in here. Uh, but they're not invested in this narrative at all. Uh, problem is, Herc and Ulysses decide to stop for lunch on the way home, and Herc drinks from the waters of forgetfulness, which are <laughs> only codified as such by a narrator who we will not hear from before or again. Although Steve Reeves does a good job of like kind of putting his hand to his head and looking a little bit dizzy. Yeah, Unchained is not the good one, if you ask me. But uh, yeah, and, and it's, it's very. It's silly. not just he doesn't just forget plot points; like he becomes dumb. Yeah, he's like, oh, I don't know how yeah, I feel about like, anything. Anymore. I'm so sleepy; I can barely keep awake. Well, that's actually from earlier that, in the I know, film. I know. But uh, can I eat water? Like, <laughs> like that's the kind of thing. It doesn't work. So he gets kidnapped and he's taken to another land of only women. And uh, he is convinced by the evil queen that he is her lover. He is the king. Uh, Ulysses has to uh, pretend to be like his servant boy. And uh, he's trying to convince Hercules that he's Hercules, even though Hercules is being told, Nope, you're well, going to have sex with all of these ladies off camera, subtextually. And well, that here, will be that. And, and here, here's where the, like, the queer underpinnings like really come forth. This is about... a. Oh, a woman who has to feed a man forgetfulness drugs mm -hmm. to remind him to have sex with women. Yeah. It's like, it's almost like a code for deprogramming in yeah. this weird way where he is, he's out there having sex with men and she's trying to deprogram him into having sex with women. Yeah, and it's, Ulysses uh, has to remind him that, Herc, that is not what you do. No. Uh, no. That's not what you do at all. In fact, the last time you got to hang out with your wife, you specifically took a nap instead we, uh, of doing anything else. In, in the late 1950s, there wasn't a lot of uh, frank talk about what the Greeks actually got up to. And in mm. fact... Um, if you read a lot of ancient Greek poetry, you'll find that a lot of the erotic poems, that is the love poems, were written by men to younger men. Uh, and that was sort of seen as a, a almost traditional a romantic setup. Men would marry women. Women would be uh, in charge of the home uh, because of sexism. Mm hmm. But when it came to, like, actual romance, when it came to deep, abiding, loving passion, that was reserved for relationships between older men and younger men. Mm -hmm. uh, 
this has been brought up uh, time and time again with Snickers in high school classrooms, but that was the, the traditional romantic setup. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was just, o- o- homosexuality was just openly accepted yeah. uh, in, in Greek times. And it's come up in movies before, but never accurately. Not, or not usually, u- usually it was uh, a point of mockery. I remember a line of dialogue from uh, the movie 300, mm. one of the, oh, yeah, one of yeah, the yeah. most disgusting movies ever made. It's really uh, kind of ethically and morally repugnant. Actually. Yeah, it's it's, it's yeah. just a, a horrendous movie. It's incredibly uh, inter- pro-fascist. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's like how fascism is great and military fuckery is wonderful mm. and we're gonna throw infants against rocks and how mm. great is that it's, the most evil person in the world is the most effeminate man we could think of exactly yeah, yeah. Uh, and and they they refer to the greeks as like d- disparagingly as boy lovers it's like uh, mm. by by the the scottish uh spartans uh <laughs> yeah golly i hate 300 it's, it's so bad it's it's a problematic uh, so it could be possible that Hercules Unchained was trying to tap into the general romantic dynamic of the ancient Greeks. Uh, I mean, and, and again, I'm, I'm selling it really oversimplified. There's, there's g- Greek history enthusiasts who are screaming at me right now. Yeah, yeah. And, and, I'll, and I'll take your criticism. We're, we're, this is not uh, a mythology podcast. No, this is I'm, a podcast I, I am, about I am, the cinema. I am no expert, but... Uh, yeah. But it's entirely possible that uh, it was maybe accepted mm-hmm. that uh, Hercules and his men were having affairs. Mm-hmm. We can't show it on camera the yeah. same way we can't show men and women having sex on camera. Yeah. But uh, it's yeah, it, it is entirely possible that that was the subtext of that. He's taken the, the waters of forgetfulness to forget his queerness. Yeah, I think and, it's, and, I think it's definitely and have, part of it. And, and have heterosex. I think that's definitely mm-hmm. part of it. I also think that there's also a, another level, which is just this idea that there are interests that men and boys have. Mm-hmm. Action. War. Mm-hmm. Fighting. Wrestling. Sports. Mm-hmm. And there is this, again, there's this very naive immaturity to these Hercules yeah. movies. They're made for, I mean, like, the story-wise, again, they're they're around you know cheesy superhero movie level mm. okay we gotta get back to the story it's, it's like in the princess bride when fred savage is like this isn't gonna be a kissing book is it <laughs> it's like that's like what this whole subplot in hercules mm. is like oh is this a kissing part of the movie does this lift out of the text and the answer is kind of yeah <laughs> it's a really long digression in which herc lazes about and ulysses tries to convince herc that he's herc and the lady, of course, falls in love with Herc. And there's this really funny bit where Ulysses is able to like send word to all of the supporting cast from Herc 1. And mm. they all show up. And they're like, hey, it's Hercules. And Ulysses is like, hey, it's Hercules. But Ulysses is like, they're not supposed to know that. They'll kill us all. And they're like, oh, no, this isn't Hercules. And there's this hilarious bit where Steve Reeves is like, why is everyone calling me Hercules? I'm not Hercules. He's hilarious. He's absolutely adorable. Um. They, uh, turns out there's a whole conspiracy to kill every one of this lady's lovers and turn them into statues. Uh, Herc doesn't want to do that. Fight mm. him off with a big table. And then, of course, they abscond. And because Herc spent, like, a couple of weeks doing that, mm. turns out that the, uh, evil king, uh, realized that, okay, well, I guess the treaty's off. Death for all! Mm. And he starts arresting people and throwing them to lions and throwing them off of parapets. And it turns into a big battle. And Yole gets kidnapped like four times. Mm. And there's a big fight. and Yeah, that's the movie, basically. And then Herc, <laughs> Herc wins. Basically, that's it. The two brothers kill each other. Mm. And uh, Herc is president now? I'm actually mm. a little hazy on how everything, like... Who's in charge now? I don't know. Maybe Thebes just ended there. <laughs> but Herc saved the day. Yole's fine, mm-hmm. I guess. Ulysses is fine, I guess. <laughs> and next they'll fight Dracula. Uh, Mario Bava worked on these movies. <laughs> uh, Mario Bava, I think, was a DP on some of them and did some of the special, like, special effects. <laughs> Mario Bava is one of the great Italian filmmakers. Prove me wrong. <laughs> Uh, he worked in a variety of different genres, horror movies, action movies, had a very distinct singular mm. style, made some gorgeous movies, made some cheesy movies, um, and it totally makes sense that he worked on Hercules movies. In fact, I think he directed Hercules in the Haunted World. Mm. Um, 
So that's just another point of interest. Um, yeah, those are the two Hercules movies. They are fascinating. They mm-hmm. were successful. Yeah. Uh, which, again, just goes to show that just because a movie is successful now, or a movie was successful 10 years ago or 20 years ago, doesn't mean it always will be. Yeah. And there's a lot of people now who think that they're big blockbuster connoisseurs who probably haven't seen mm-hmm. the blockbusters of the 50s. At least not all of them. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to forget that a movie like Hercules was a huge success. It spawned an entire genre mm-hmm. that was enormously popular and made a ton of movies, many of which are hard to find here. And they're definitely hard to find in good versions. Mm-hmm. So I beseech anyone who's listening who might work for any DVD distributor. If you know anyone who works for any DVD distributor, um, if you just want to poke their email account, anyone, Mm. at the very least, we got to get the initial run of Hercules movies like restored. At least these first two. At least these first two. I think we should at least get through Haunted World because it's really fascinating. Mm. Uh, But at least these first two are in desperate need of rescue mm. because although they are available, they're not available in good versions at yeah. all. They're they're kind of hard to look at. There's some hilarious scenes which are clearly designed for widescreen with Herc on one side mm. of the screen and Yole on the other. And because it's bad pan and scan, the camera's just looking in the middle. And you <laughs> yeah, just see like one peck of Hercules <laughs> and then like the ruins in the background. And then Yole, I guess, is off to the side, but we'll have to take that on faith. Like that, it's just really bad pan and scan. But there are stills that are available, and I've seen like bits that apparently people have cleaned up. I don't know if it's mm-hmm. released in a nice way overseas or not. These were good looking movies once. Mm-hmm. They're kind of cheap, but they were still good looking movies once. I would like to see them in their original version. Yeah. And if you've only seen the MST3K versions, those are funny. Mm-hmm. I quite like a lot of those. Uh, but I think at the very least, the original Hercules is a better movie than that one makes it out to be. It's a very mm-hmm. unapologetically, over-the-top, silly, wonderfully homoerotic action adventure mm-hmm. uh, that is very, very much a proto-version of the superhero movies that we enjoy today. And again, it laid the groundwork for, or one of the films that laid the groundwork for, um, the sort of open appreciation of queerness in cinema. Mm-hmm. Without really talking about it. Yeah. And that's something that Rocky Horror talks about a lot. This is all here. This is all in the media. Mm-hmm. Always has been. But no one's really put it in the foreground. Yeah. And so when Frank calls this movie out, he is reminding you that you would have to bend over like backwards and break your spine to try to find an angle from which Hercules is completely... like heterosexual yeah. as a movie franchise. <laughs> you, you, I don't think it's possible. Hmm. And that's episode zero. That's it. Uh, this was a fun watch. I'd actually never <laughs> seen, uh, uh, I think I've ever seen Hercules Unchained without MST3K before. Yeah. Um, yeah. I had seen Hercules before. Yeah. Um, I think I had seen one of these like on TV when I was a kid. Uh, yeah. The reason these films have persisted is because of Mystery Science Theater. Mm-hmm. Um, At least in the last few decades. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think nobody would bother to even mention Steve Reeves anymore. Uh, be- besides Mystery Sense Theater and Rocky Horror, yeah. uh, Steve Reeves is kept, kept alive. And yeah. uh, his status as not just a, a cinema titan, but as a gay icon mm. is now uh, carried into the present. And I think these Hercules movies do serve a very important uh, role in queer history. Yeah. Uh, just because of their unabashed uh, use of male bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, you would see male bodybuilders in movies occasionally. Um, there, There's that uh, wonderful number in Gentlemen Prefer Blondes where Rosalind Russell is singing a song <laughs> where all these big sweaty naked dudes are, are working out and not paying any attention to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, for the most part, male bodies are treated as comic things, even when they're really good looking. Mm. Uh, occasionally you'll get sort of a... a a female gazy moment out of someone like Chris Hemsworth. I think, I think uh, but the Tarzan movies like a, had a lot of mm. uh, sort of romance to them, especially That's the first true, couple yeah. uh, in the pre-code from the, films, from the, 30s, the uh, Johnny Weissmuller movies were very much told yeah, you fast- from Jane's perspective <clears throat> and her like, Oh, mm. Oh my. In fact, we might actually do one or two of those movies on this episode. Zero. Maybe so. Um, I think Tarzan, the ape man and Tarzan and his mate might be good fodder for this. T- Tarzan and his mate, especially. That's also yeah. just a really great movie. You should yeah. watch it. Mean, obviously mate. it's colonialist mm. as fuck, but um, it's a fascinating that's, that's, motion that's picture. The, that's a Tarzan. Yeah. Tarzan. But it's worth talking about. It's worth talking about. It's worth talking about. 
Um, but the way male bodies are treated in cinema today mm. is 100% sexless. Occasionally a male body will be eroticized in like in a single shot, like I said, with mm-hmm. Thor or, um, well, even look at, look at something a, like 300 where like you're mm. all of these men wandering around in essentially furry speedos. Mm. And I don't get the impression Zack Snyder thinks they're hot. No, yeah. It's We're, weird. Like, and yeah. even like digitally enhanced their chests, but it's to, uh, enhance yeah. their masculinity rather than their sexiness. Yeah. Uh, in, uh, uh, oh, what was I just? Oh, in uh, Twilight, for instance, uh, yeah. we uh, we eroticize Taylor Lautner. Uh, like, there's that that scene where he takes his shirt off, uh, but mm. it's like one scene in a five film series, which is weird because that whole franchise is about a lady who's can't decide between which hot dude she wants to be with. Yeah, but it should be all from her gaze, you know. But but again, those films fetishize chastity. I know they're, it's ironic, they're not yeah. about sex at no, all. Right, uh, so. Yeah. And, and when we do see male bodies on camera, it's it's a Will Ferrell situation. It's a Sasha Baron Cohen situation. I'm Isn't it sh- funny that they're nude? Yeah, l- look, Sasha Baron Cohen is wearing this tiny mankini. Well, somebody thinks that's hot. Yeah. Somebody married him. <laughs> I, I, is he married? Yeah. Huh. He's married to uh, Isla Fisher. Oh, that's right. I forgot. Yeah. I forgot about that. I don't usually keep track of celebrities' love lives. Uh, yeah. And sometimes I mean, it's, it's inescapable and you just hear sig- about it. It's not it, significant, but, I, but sometimes yeah. it's, it's just noteworthy. It's a piece of trivia. Sometimes um, people will tell me, like, oh, that person's married to that person. I'm like, yeah. really? So uh, huh. Good for them. It's, it, it's sort of a pity that as men, even mm. though we're catered to, our sexuality is catered to, especially if you're a cishet dude, mm-hmm. your sexuality is going to be catered to, to within an inch of its life. Yeah. Uh, and yet when it comes to seeing ourselves eroticized, we don't get that. Yeah. And, uh, like we're supposed to like go about mm. like just being mm. essentially like we're, we, we want to look and, good, but yeah. we basically were just being asexual and we want people to throw themselves and, at us. And there are, there are several notable female gaze movies that have come out within oh. the last couple of years. Uh, Harley Quinn, oh, yeah. Charlie's angels, yeah. uh, uh, Terminator, dark fate. Mm. Notice these are female gaze films about women. Uh, mm-hmm. They're not female gazing at the male body. Two of them directed yeah. by women. Very notable. Uh, very there noteworthy. you go. Yeah. Um, that's right. Uh, Harley Quinn and, uh, and, uh, the other one, uh, uh, Charles, uh, Angels. Charles Angels. Yeah, Elizabeth Banks mm. and uh, Kathy Yen. Mm. Yeah, did those. Um, and and we, we we do see moments, but it's just moments. Like I remember in the um, reboot of Casino Royale, or rather mm. the second reboot of Casino Royale, the first Daniel Craig Bond yeah. movie, uh, they do the shot mm. from Doctor No, where um, uh, Honey Rider comes out of the sea mm. and she's glistening and it's beautiful and she's in a tight, form-fitting, mm. tiny swimsuit. But to their credit, in Casino Royale, it's James Bond doing that. Yeah, yeah. There are moments. There are moments, but they're fleeting, mm. and it's weird how how we we should be getting more of that. It should mm. that that's absurd. Um, in any case, but you can look at a Herc movie, and you can just see it wall to wall, and it's you can yeah. totally see the appeal. Um, anyway, that is it for episode zero this week. Thank you everybody for listening. We'll be back next week with a movie. Um, oftentimes, when we do movies on these episode zero podcasts. Mm. We're talking about movies that Whitney or I, or usually both, are very familiar with. And we really want to discuss the history of it. Every once in a while, we like to talk about a film that we know is a distinct influence on the movie in question, but we haven't seen. Mm-hmm. Happens. And neither of us have seen a movie that is very explicitly called out in the Rocky Horror Picture Show, Dr. X. Luca. <laughs> Dr. Doctor X is one of Luca's favorite movies. Luca is just shoving around his bowl. Uh, Dr. X is like one, of the, uh, one of the universal horror cycle that isn't as widely celebrated as their monster mm-hmm. movies, mm-hmm. but it was directed by Michael Curtiz, who would go on to direct Casablanca. Which we had previously done mm-hmm. an episode zero on mm-hmm. uh, for Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he's considered one of the great filmmakers, but he got his start doing B-movies and a lot of horror stuff. And I'm actually... I haven't seen as many of his early horror films as I'd like, but everyone I've seen was awesome. Mm. So I'm actually really excited about this. This is a serial killer film from mm. the early 30s. I think it's pre-production code. Um, and I can't wait to check it out mm. because I'm a huge fan of his Mystery at the Wax Museum in particular. That movie is great. I still think it's the best version of the Wax Museum. Uh, so uh, I'm really excited to watch it and talk about it. So mm. awesome. Can't wait for next week. Thank you, everybody, for listening.
Thank you, everybody, for joining us. A very special thank you to all of our patrons, without whom this show and none of our other shows would even be remotely possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to join up, it's patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. You can vote for future episodes of our shows. Mm-hmm. We have a ton of exclusive content, including podcasts about... Uh, Disney history, Oscars history, which we're behind on. We need to we need to get to that. Yeah. Uh, we have uh, the history of Star Trek, the history of Batman in the 1960s, the live action series, commentary tracks. Uh, the latest Patreon poll for the commentary track uh, announced that we're going to be doing a commentary for Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> it's quite bad. It's 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 really. Really deserves its reputation mm. as one of the worst movies yeah, ever made. Yeah, yeah. Fortunately, it's it's not especially long, so we'll be fine. Mm. Uh, we won't we won't be like pulling out our hair and like yeah. going mad like in that one John Carpenter Masters of Horror episode. <laughs> um, but uh, you that'll be available there too. Patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Uh, we also are on Twitter at critic acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And of course, you can email us letters at critically acclaimed.net. We might read your email on a future episode of We've Got Mail. So feel free to talk about something we discussed on this show or other shows, mm. ask us questions, anything at all, really. We try to be pretty open books. Mm. Uh, so thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, never forget, everyone's a Rocky Horror. <laughs> no, it's I See You Shiver. With? Anticipate. <laughs>